Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Gattazzi, and today we're going to be talking about your metabolism and metabolic health. I'm sure you are aware by now, but I keep banging on about our greatest defense against COVID-19, and that is host health. More specifically, getting you and those around you metabolically healthy. See, if you look through the data, in the UK, we see that 96% of all COVID-19 mortality had one or more serious comorbidities, with the leading health conditions including diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. This is a similar story across all countries, including the US. And all of these conditions make up something called metabolic syndrome. So if you want to look good, feel good, have a great sustainable relationship with food, minimize your exposure to chronic diseases and autoimmune conditions, as well as having a robust defense against infectious respiratory diseases such as COVID-19, then it should be your top, top priority to get metabolically healthy. And in this episode, we're going to explain exactly what we mean by metabolic health, metabolic syndrome, and the metabolism. Bryn Jenkins and I cover all the bases, ranging from metabolism and weight management, can you break your metabolism, and hypothyroidism, all the way to how your metabolism becomes dysregulated, what health issues that causes, and how to identify if you have metabolic syndrome. You'll learn about the connection between your metabolism, healthy hormone function, body fat, and your immune system. And lastly, we share the practical and simple diet and lifestyle solutions that will get you metabolically healthy. Things that you can start right away that will have a quick and profound effect on your metabolic and immune health. This is too important to ignore for you and your loved ones. We don't need masks, more lockdowns or vaccines. If you truly care about those who are highly susceptible to flu and COVID-19, then help them improve their host health and their natural defenses. That is where the rubber meets the road. As always, you can check out the full show notes by clicking the link within the description of this episode. And if this discussion resonates with you, please help others find our show by leaving a five-star rating or review in your podcast app and tagging us in a screenshot, whether it be in Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Lastly, if you want to take your personal growth to the next level, then do check out the Be Your Best Self-Optimization Journey, an online self-improvement like no other, letting you into the human code and helping you realize your full potential and to be your best. You can find more details and podcast listener discounts within the episode notes. Okay, without delay, I hope you enjoy Bryn Jenkins and I walking you through the critical health topic of improving your metabolic health. So welcome back on the show, Bryn. It's yeah, been a while. It's been, been uh, yeah, a little while. Thanks for having me back on. <sighs> we, we need to be doing these a little bit more frequently, but yeah. um, the world has challenged us in doing so. You're busy. Lockdown has prevented us getting face-to-face as much, and we've had a great few guests on. But how you been keeping generally? You've been all right? Yeah, not too bad, apart from, obviously, the COVID situation, throwing a bit of a curveball um, with the business. Um, but other than that, we're all in good health, so all is well. 
Cool, man. Well, I know you've um, you've spun spun back up your your gym business, that physical um, PT work, which is great. Mm. Um, people coming back from a hiatus of four or five months, maybe not as active and maybe not looking after themselves as much as possible. So are you seeing people coming back in better health, worse health, or the same health in general? I've actually seen a bit of a, an extreme um, change in a lot of our members. So I think everyone was in their kind of routine and just general lifestyle habits and whatnot. When the lockdown happened, that then put a spanner in the works for everyone. It just changed everyone's routine. Mm-hmm. And some people went to the left and just just went the wrong way and put on weight and just binge eating their mental health went down the toilet and then you saw others go actually you know what i'm going to take this opportunity i've got a little bit more time to spend with the family um to prepare my food exercise more and actually we've seen some people on go left and put on um a lot of body fat and people on the right lose a lot of body fat as a result Um, and just general health improving so there's not been many people that have kind of sat in the middle okay. during this crisis. That's something that I've noticed. There are a few that have just kind of carried on. Their work's not changed all that much, but the ones that it, the, their routines have been sort of torn apart, I've definitely seen they either go one or the other way, mm. which is some that's actually been quite interesting to see who and why they're reacting differently. They've kind same, of come same to a, situation, but they're reflecting on it engaging with it in a different way some are able to take the positive out of it and Mm -hmm. go how can i use the space and time Mm -hmm. to put me first put my family first in a way that i haven't been able to do before and others are perhaps looking at this as a well life's paused so i don't have to think about long-term consequences i'm dealing with the shit storm which is the current situation and therefore it's about comfort and it's about you know getting through it and it's not about me it's just about it, whether it be solidarity or fear or whatever it is, but it is getting through it. And that's interesting, isn't it? Same scenario, same set of challenges we all face. Some people are able to take an opportunity out of that and others are feeling, hey, I'm a victim in this global playbook or whatever the situation is and you know, I'm, I'm without uh, agency and therefore... There's no point putting in too much effort. So I can I can understand I can understand both mentalities because yeah. I feel I feel both of those yeah. at different times of the day. So yeah. um, it's um yeah I, th- I think a level of it is like you're saying there. So for the ones that have kind of gone um, in the direction of of poor health, uh, I mean there's a few things. Some of them are are shielding and they have vulnerable people in their family or they are vulnerable, so they've just been shielding, which means their health has obviously gone in the wrong direction because they're getting less sunlight. Um, and they're just in the house more, which is more opportunity to snack and eat and stuff. But then you've also got the people that are feeling like they want to comfort themselves. So they're comfort eating. And then you've got the ones that are kind of going, well, like you say, life is paused and you know what? It's not, it's not, we don't have school night anymore. So I'm just going to drink. And especially when the weather was good as well, speaking to a lot of our members, they were like, yeah, well, I got a bad habit of drinking every night because we, we were firing thing. up the barbecue every night. And because yeah. I'm not having to get up for work the next day, I would have a few glasses of wine before you know it, I'm doing it every night. Yeah. Um, so there was kind of, those were the kind of three key points that I was seeing as to why people have kind of um, 
lost a bit of health during lockdown. Mm. Um, then the other way, like you say, they've got more time and That's taking advantage of it. So, so what I, I think we should talk about this. You, you actually brought it up as a, an idea before we turn on the mics that we speak about metabolism. Yeah. So there is there's a couple of things to frame this. Obviously, we are we've we've seen the government in the UK put out an obesity program of sorts, which is an attempt to acknowledge that COVID-19 risk or susceptibility is heightened both, you know, contracting the disease and the seriousness of the disease and potentially death is worsened if uh, you hold a lot of weight. And I think that is no surprise to, to people in the health and wellness space. We've seen the correlation between obesity, all cause mortality and just general chronic conditions um, for many decades, but it hasn't yet filtered down into a mainstream idea that being fat is actually unhealthy, not just undesirable, mm-hmm. but unhealthy on many levels. So I'm glad that they're right, driving that program. So we've got that kind of, um, okay, there's something that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. We're trying to shine a spotlight on it. Are they doing enough? And will they do enough through marketing and spend and education? I'm not sure. But we can have a discussion so people can hear today on the metabolism. What is it? Can it be broken? What do you need to understand about weight management? And more importantly, beyond the aesthetic of this, is a broken or dysregulated metabolism um, causative or impactful towards your health and susceptibility to both chronic conditions and infectious disease? So if we can cover that today, I think it would be a, a nice practical both insight and how to sound good yep and i I think the important thing there as well as like saying is that when we talk about the metabolism mainstream it's it we're typically referring to the ascetic fat loss side of things um but actually your metabolism has a profound effect on your health so i think that's really important point to sort of um take note of there exactly and anyone who follows me on facebook knows that i pretty much preface that any any kind of covid19 post i do right now where it's a bit doom and gloom in terms of some of the responses we've seen globally mm-hmm. uh, around lockdowns and restrictions, it's all prefaced with, this is a host health issue. And I keep saying, fix your metabolic health. So if we can understand what metabolic health is in this episode, I think, one, people will understand what I'm saying, and two, they can start, you know, with agency, controlling their health outcomes. So... I think I want to frame frame this first with acknowledging two things which are paradoxical and a bit of a head-scratcher. So we are the only animal on the planet that I know of, right, that is deeply confused about our existence. Now, I don't mean that in a condescending way. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but just hear me out for a second. We're the only animal in the world that just doesn't seem to know what to eat. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Whether it be ants or lions hyenas, giraffes, elephants, pandas, whatever, you you name it, right? We can go on for a while. Left in their natural environment, Mm. they are not pondering for days, weeks, and months on end, concerned and confused on what they should be eating. And nor do we as humans go, these animals are deeply confused about what should they be eating. They just eat what's available, what's intuitively, instinctively, and ancestrally consistent and Um, supportive towards them both living in the moment, procreating and thriving. It's not rocket science. They know what they're doing. They're getting the foods that they know that they're built to have. 
We once knew how to eat, but over the last 70 years, we have completely complexified eating to the point now it's an enigma. Mm. It's a head scratcher and it is sad. And I've been there. I think we've all been there. I think most of us are there, that confusion on what we should be putting in our mouths. And it's deeply concerning because it's really not that difficult. Mm. The second dichotomy or, or sorry, um, kind of paradox is that we are both fat as a species, right? The obesity rates across developed countries is horrendous. You know, we're talking 60 to 60 plus percent of UK and the US are overweight and a decent percentage of that, um, half of that is probably probably obese. We're talking significant concerning growth in overweightness in our populations. Mm. And yet we're malnourished. How is How can you have both? How can you have an excess of food which creates the deposition of fat at kind of alarming rates, which means we clearly have an excess of energy, yet we're seeing chronic deficiencies mm-hmm. in vitamin D, in magnesium, in um, uh, essential fats within our body. And you go through, you know, vitamin C, all the Bs, you go through vitamin A, vitamin E, iron. We're seeing deficiencies all over the shop. Choline. We have an issue where we clearly don't have a concern about access to food anymore. Yet we're eating the foods that are making us fat. And we need to stop making this a calories in, calories out discussion because there is nuance. Mm. So that's kind of how I wanted to frame it. And the solutions we have seen and we are experiencing today are, okay, why don't we just give you more medication to fix your diseased state? Why don't we give you vaccines to protect you because you can't protect yourself? Why don't we build more technology? Because technology is the answer to a species that has evolved for millions of years. Why don't we... Technologify, <laughs> not a word, <laughs> um, food. Why don't we just make food more and more technical? You know, mm. you know, impossible burger, beyond this, you know, whatever, just lab created stuff, whatever fortified, it is. Yeah. Fortified, highly processed, ultra processed food. That is our solution mm. to feeding the world and nourishing the world. I'm not sure. And as I say, we're complexifying nutrition. We'd, we've made nutrition which is simple to understand through our history incredibly complex why we need nutritionists all over the world to try and explain what you should eat none of them have a bloody clue either Mm -hmm. because we're trying to add complexity because complexity sells because when it's difficult for you to understand something you need a coach you need you know someone to tell you what to do buy their program eat their thing there's no money in telling you what you should be eating so we've had to create complexity so you can, you, you, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want to be creating a sinister tone, but that really is what has happened over the last 70 years is we have monetized fat, how to lose weight. We've monetized how to eat. But the only way to monetize that is to go off the beaten path, go from the tried and true route, which is really simple in terms of what you should be putting in your mouth. Mm. And let's just make it really complicated so you don't know which way to turn. So you're going to have to come to someone mm. and give them money. So that's the frame. And because of that, we're getting fatter and we're getting more sick. And we are becoming susceptible to things we otherwise wouldn't be susceptible to. Let's kick this 
metabolism discussion off with the highest level then, Britain. Why don't you start by saying at a uh, layman's level, Mm. what do you think people understand metabolism to be and how would you explain it to your average person walking through the gym? What do they need to know at the highest level? And then we can go a little bit deeper and we'll go to the health stuff a little bit later. Yeah, so... (laughs) At the highest level, we'll typically look, and I mean, most of the, our members at the gym, when we speak to them, will typically understand metabolism as a, and it just energy expenditure versus um, energy consumption, that energy balance, right? Like we're saying, it's there's nuances to that, right? So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. But right now, let's take a bird's eye view, looking at what makes up the kind of calorie or energy expenditure, the calories or the energy that we burn on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have heard the term TDEE, which is an acronym for total daily energy expenditure. So those are obviously the uh, overall calories that you burn in a day. Now, what consists, what what are the components that make up your TDEE? Mm-hmm. So the first and the biggest one that makes up the biggest portion of your TDE is your BMR. So it's your basal metabolic rate, which is the calories that you burn at rest. So that's digestion, breathing, thinking, organs. It's all the biological all the processes, processes in your body just general. to be alive. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a complex uh, system. And that makes up the largest portion. Then we move on to your NEAT, which is an acronym, acronym for your... Um, uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So these are the calories on top of your BMR that you burn just through general daily movement. So getting out of the bed, walking to the bathroom, brushing your teeth, fidgeting, posture, cleaning the car, picking up kids. So all the kind of general movement, that's not exercise, okay? That makes up your second largest portion of the calories you burn in a day. Mm-hmm. And we can, uh, well, actually, I'm going to come back to this and answer how we can influence changing the calories we burn within each component so after your neat then you've got your eat which is your exercise activity thermogenesis so that's the calories you burn exercising so that's on top of those two um so that's planned exercise so that yeah. might be going out for a run that might be um going to the gym it might be i don't know rowing a boat whatever just something that you plan to do that's physically active and structured and then the last one, which is the smallest portion, which is your TEF. So that's your thermic effect of feeding. Um, and these are the calories that you burn typically or digesting, digesting food. Um, and some foods have higher energy higher, expenditures like protein exactly. versus carbs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we look back down that, that if we go back to um, your BMR then and looking at how we can influence um, the calories that we burn. So typically, if you're looking to lose weight, you want to expend more energy, right? So that ultimately is the aim. So that means that you can consume more calories without putting on as much body fat or you can get away with more calories, right? Um so your BMR, your resting metabolic rate, if you want to increase that, now this isn't something that I typically get people to focus on because you can only influence it so much, right? Um, because these are, it's kind of the calories you will naturally burn at rest. But if you um, put more, if you have more muscle in your body, there's more to maintain. Muscle is quite a, uh, like a calorie rich um, tissue. So it takes a lot for your body to maintain muscle tissue. So the more muscle you put on your body, the the more calories it takes to 
uh, just keep yeah. maintaining that I'd muscle I'd say just tissue. generally ha- the heavier you are. The heavier you are, yeah. The higher your BMR, right? Yeah, so the heavier you are because obviously the, the, the larger your organs, et cetera, so yeah. the more tissues you have, the more you're going to burn. But that doesn't equate to all that much from person to person. It does, and it varies from person to person depending depending on your age and your weight and um You're not going to be a 100-pound girl and want to get to 200 pounds so you have a bigger BMR. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that isn't a good plan. Yeah, right? it, exactly. <laughs> it, like, if you focus on that, so it's not worth standing yeah. on the rooftop shouting about. But yeah. it does make a difference, but only by a few hundred calories that, here or there. But it's not, it's not worth focusing all your attention on. It's just part of, of the puzzle, right? Um, the one that I would focus on is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which was the general daily movement, because that is the one that you can have um, most influence over. Because let's say you're someone that's quite sedentary, that sits at a desk and you do um, less than 5,000 steps a day. We know that you don't really move that much. So if we can get you 10,000 plus steps a day, it gives us a ballpark figure and it just kind of allows us to see, okay, well, you're on your feet a bit more and you're going to require um, a lot more energy to do so than if you're doing 5,000 steps a day. So that's one of the things I typically look at is, okay, let's just get you moving more frequently throughout the day. And that will give you a, a bigger increase in calorie burn throughout the day versus just focusing on increasing your BMR. So that's one of the biggest things you can influence. And plus, um, doing extra... Th- chores around the house and cleaning the car and just kind of um, consciously making yourself do more, you're going to burn a lot more energy because everything takes energy. Mm. So that's definitely worth focusing on. And that's that's something that people overlook. People will typically go to exercise when they're looking to manage their weight. So they'll go, right, if I just exercise and I smash myself in the gym, I'm going to lose weight. It's all good. I'm burning calories, right? It's like, yep. But the calories you burn during exercise is quite unsustainable because number one, you have to keep that up. Your body then um, adapts to the exercise and you become more efficient at it. So for an example, if you go for a mile run every day, if you just keep running that mile day after day, you will therefore start to get more efficient at running your mechanics, your energy system, um, so your aerobic system, you'll just get more and more efficient and therefore you'll burn less. Let's go, well, what do I do? I have to run more. Okay, now I have to run more and run more. So there is an upper limit on that. Now, this is where we can start talking about strength training because there's, a, there's many a ways that you can improve um, or, or stop yourself from hitting that ceiling because you can use tempo, you can use volume, um, time under tension, uh, you can change up the rep scheme, you can change up the exercises. So there's, that's why strength training is so good. But the point here I'm trying to make is that we quite often focus on just exercise alone as a really effective uh, fat loss tool when actually training is actually a very ineffective fat loss tool. Um, It's about nutrition. So that's where we manage our calories in versus calories out because if we consume less, then we can um, manage our weight that way. It's much easier and more sustainable. So maybe to just interject because you, you have lifted the conversation up from metabolism and you're talking about any energy mm-hmm. management, right? Which is about weight management. Yeah. And I think it's right to do so because that's really the conversation people want to have, right? When they talk about metabolism, 95% of the population plus, mm-hmm. they're using that word with the intent that that is a description of how much energy I'm burning and I have an energy burning issue yeah. because I'm overweight and I want to burn more energy. I get why you've gone there. Um, maybe if we can just bring it a little bit back to 
metabolism as in the metabolism is not necessarily affected by neat it's not necessarily affected by exercise mm-hmm. metabolism is your body's biological processes to survive as you've rightly yeah. said it's everything from thinking to seeing to you know cell turnover tissue regeneration yeah. um detoxify detoxification of substances that you eat you know moving everything everything your body is doing whether it's voluntarily or completely autonomous uh, using your autonomous autonomic nervous system that is what your metabolism is and mm-hmm. as you said you don't necessarily have much control over that right mm-hmm. it is a function of how expensive is it for your body just to be and your body can be either be, be more expensive or less expensive to maintain depending on those variables mm-hmm. how much muscle you have how much fat you have on your body what's your overall weight that kind of thing daily movement yeah so let's just dig a little bit more because some people talk about they have a um of a slow metabolism others will say i've got a high metabolism mm-hmm. others will say i've broken my metab- metabolism or others still would say what pill or potion or shake or powder can i take because there's lots of them out there mm-hmm. you know currently you know offering the world mm-hmm. you take this one thing and it increases your metabolism now i don't know whether the science is robust or not there or not but i think we're looking at the wrong problem because uh, metabolism really is not something you should be wanting to necessarily manipulate. It's something you want to nourish and make sure is working well. Because let me say one other thing. Metabolism is is a way really to describe that your, your body has a complex system of things that are happening for you to just be. Mm. We use metabolism and energy like synonymously, like they're one of the same. But really, metabolism is the processes that happen. Otherwise, if they didn't, you wouldn't be alive. Now, I, I care about, uh, more about those processes performing well, having enough energy to perform well, and having an enough, enough nourishment and not being dysregulated. Because if you have a healthy metabolism, I don't care about how many calories you burn. I care about whether it's healthy. Because if it's healthy, you are more likely to be the right weight, manage your weight easier, and be in better overall health mm. and well-being so why do we talk about this idea of breaking your metabolism in your experience and through your research at a high level do you see this idea that i've i've dieted for so long i've now quote unquote broken my metabolism do you see that as a true statement um well it depends because uh, well, actually, going back, the reason I wanted to cover kind of that overview is more so to give everyone basic understanding who might not have no, on, on energy balance. Totally agree. Um, because then we can start dig- digging in a little bit deeper and then going, okay, well, what are the nuances to that, right? And um, typically looking at then if we go, right, well, if if I'm trying to um, improve my metabolic health and I think that my metabolism is broken, um I mean, I don't really like that word just because of the way it's used, but when you understand it, it, it does make sense. Um, but for me, not looking at the metabolism, but looking at other things around that that can affect uh, your results that make you think that it could be a metabolic issue. For an example, it could be, um, uh, let's say you are tracking your calories and you're you're like, what's happening? I'm holding on to a lot of body fat and I'm not losing body fat. And that might be for health reasons, aesthetic reasons, whatever. Um, 
typically one of the things there could be under-reporting your calories. And we know this is a phenomenon that happens. Yeah. They've, there's um, uh, research been done with 20 women, all of um, similar age and weight. 10 of them were registered dietitians and 10 of them were not registered dietitians. But they're all trained for seven days to track their calories. And they used the um, doubly labeled water technique to, to track their calories they were burning. So they knew pretty precisely how many calories they needed. And then at the end of the seven days, they looked at whether they reported accurately or not. And on average, on a daily average, the 10 diet, uh, registered dietitian um, group underreported on average daily of about 223 calories. Wow. Whereas the non-registered dietitian group was about double that. So per day, it was about That's 400. That's a huge amount of calories which is huge to amount. lose every day yeah. off your login. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's where I just wanted to make that point. I know it's not talking precisely about the metabolism, but sometimes this is where the confusion comes in when I'm talking yeah. to people. And they're like, I think I've got bro broken metabolism. I have to make sure that I look at the whole picture first and go... Are we first reporting correctly? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not knowingly. This is because food labels are off and... Um, the more we do it, the less diligent we get. And, and there's loads We don't of... think about the oils or the, the bits and pieces. We guesstimate a lot. Yeah. And we may think, oh, that's not worth logging that because that was just a thing. Human error. But and... hang on a minute. You've, you haven't logged that tomato ketchup. Yeah. That meal, that meal, and that meal. Maybe that's 150 calories. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's small little things you omit because it's easier. Mm -hmm. There's some little white lies you tell yourself because it's just, you don't want to go there. Yeah. And or you're not considering the full contribution of what's on your plate because either you don't have the label or you're forgetting or admitting that you put loads of butter on that mm. potato before you made it, right? You know, those kind of things. There's that easy cognitive omission. Mm. Uh, and that I think collectively adds up to the kind of calories that you're talking about. Right? Exactly. And, th and that's something that I have to, and this is my personal answer to your question, because I know you want to dive into the, the processes of the metabolism, but this is just my experience when someone talks to me about broken metabolism. Have Do we to look first at these really things. understand what it is? Yeah. And then the, the second part to that then is going, okay, well, what's your dieting background? How long have you been dieting for? Um, and then, so once we've looked at that adherence piece, it's then looking at, okay, well, if you have been in a calorie deficit for a long period of time and you're not under-reporting and you are adhering to it as you say you are, then we've got to start looking at what, what's your energy um, levels like, what's your mood like, your motivation, because we all know if we're in a calorie deficit for long enough, our body will then slow its um, process down in order to meet 100%. that requirement, right? So that we obviously don't die. But, and, um, and that is a beautiful thing, right? Mm. Uh, the, the fact that the body understands in moments of deprivation, which is what a diet is, we mm. are purposely choosing to be deprived our bodies have evolutionarily got these coping mechanisms hey food is scarce what can we do to use less energy i'm going to dial down every part of my body's process not without you know without thinking i'm going to be slightly more sensitive to heat because i'm not going to produce as much heat because heat is energy mm -hmm. so you might feel a little bit more cold sensitive you might not be able to think as clearly because you're using less energy in your brain. You may not have as much get up and go in, you know, your sprintiness or your sprightiness because your body's not, is, is reserving that energy. And you go through the stack. Maybe your digestion is off a little bit. There can be so many things are off through fatigue, depression, energy levels, uh, general awakeness, libido. cold sensitivity, libido. So many things mm -hmm. your body is going to start to sacrifice what would otherwise be a normal, healthy place to be because you don't have enough calories. My wife done exactly that. She was eating 
about 600 calories a day at one point Mm -hmm. when, you know, she kept dropping and dropping her, dropping her calories because that equation was working for her. She got down to such a low value just to maintain her weight and she felt completely trapped because she ultimately made herself ill. And we're going to get to that in a second. But Mm -hmm. she made herself ill both through a a disease and also broken biological systems thereafter. But in the moment, she felt trapped because she was at 600 calories and maintaining weight. Mm. And that, and then she was working out. She was doing like, yeah. you know, co- classes and stuff. And that is your body going, well, I need to reserve as much energy as possible. Everything is going to have to be more efficient. You're going to feel the price of it. If you want to be here in this lightweight position. So that in that instance, her metabolism was not healthy. Was it broken? It's not broken, but it was clearly reduced probably by half mm. the question is can she jump can she get out of that entrapment when she's trapped at 600 calories a day to maintain weight and you're thinking if i eat more calories i'm going to put the weight on and that's a real ph- phenomenon yeah. of course that happens where do you go mm. and that's that's a, that's a difficult place to be because you, you can no longer do more more no longer works like you're saying you can't exercise more you can't eat or less meaning more but you can't exercise less so what do you do so then you're gonna have to eat more calories you're gonna have to exercise less and you're actually gonna have to do the opposite to what you think and you're gonna have to accept that there's gonna be some weight gain and so on by going in that direction that sometimes you can see that people when you change that direction they can their body composition actually improves um but the the discussion we're having here yeah we're talking about fat a lot but really what we're trying to do is improve your health and your metabolic health and the only way to do that is to try and reverse what you've done and bring yourself back up to homeostasis so that your body can function optimally because at the end of the day your body that's where your body wants to be is at that baseline and when you go above and below that too chronically you will then see um you will see poor health as a result so it's important to get us as close to that point as possible there's no two ways about it and I guess now this is where we're going to start moving into, okay, what happens if you're in uh, a calorie deficit for too long? Or what happens if you're in a calorie surplus for too long? Yeah. What happens to your metabolic health? And that's where then all your markers will start to to um, uh, come back negative and poor health as so, a result. So ultimately, you want your metabolism, which again, if we're just talking energy terms, you want it to be as high as possible, right? Mm-hmm. For your body weight. And to do so, you need to feed it both in terms of adequate energy and adequate micronutrition, as well as macronutrition. So you need to have enough, uh, you need to have enough fat and protein. So if you can understand that a healthy metabolism is 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 the highest number you can possibly construct, mm-hmm. um, and that having a low metabolism for your weight is not broken. It's just you have downregulated it. Mm-hmm. Now you can. There is one exception to what I've just said: is there are there is an explosion of hypothyroidism, especially in women thirty plus. Mm-hmm. And hypothyroidism is when is when there's typically, typically not always, but typically an autoimmune condition. So the body is starting to damage the thyroid. The thyroid is the like kind of the master organ which controls metabolism. It produces hormones that basically 
um, encourage every part of the body to amp up their processes. Mm -hmm. And in moments of deprivation, it will send out less of that hormone and all of your organs and all of your systems uh, will just work at a lower rate. Okay, so the thyroid sits in the middle of your metabolism and you want that to healthily put out as much hormone saying, go for it, you know, expend the energy that is necessary to live well and healthily. And if you chronically either eat too little or you eat the wrong foods on a chronic basis, you can cause a condition which basically starts attacking that thyroid. And in time, it becomes less effective, it produces less hormone, and therefore there's less signal to the rest of your organs. And you are operating at a suboptimal energy level. And you're going to feel it's unfair mm-hmm. that you, the typical woman can eat, I don't know, 1300 calories a day, 1500 calories a day, do no exercise and not put on weight. You eat 700 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And you're putting on weight. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what's going on? That's what's going on. And, that, and that's where the term usually broken metabolism comes from. Um, but as you alluded to there, is that the fact that it's not <clears throat> that your metabolism is necessarily broken, but it's more that your the way you've been eating has caused this effect. And, and and that's personally why I don't like the term broken is because it's more of a victim kind of uh, phrase. Yes, super majority it, and, and time, like my, you're in control. Yeah, and, yeah. and actually it's, it's a result of um, chronic under-eating. So I think that's important to to understand. Yeah. Uh, so so now if we kind of tr- now try and understand the next thing, which is how can your metabolism go wrong? So I've alluded to a little bit of it, but really this is about a dysregulated or dysfunctional metabolism. Now, metabolism isn't just about energy um, consumption. It's about energy management. That's really the most important thing you need to get here. So what are the things that can make this go wrong? If you have too much adipose tissue, that is central body fat. Uh, and adipose tissue is a, is a healthy thing. It's, it's the fat that we have in our body. Women typically run at higher body fat levels than guys, and that's completely appropriate. They need more fat for the, the role that their body does in reproducing. So, But we all have a certain amount of body fat, and it's, a healthy, it's healthy to have for guys, say 10%. Women have about 20% thereabouts. These are average numbers. But too much adipose tissue because it is an endocrine organ, i.e. it produces its own mm. hormones. It tells your body you have both enough energy and helps you understand when you need more. So if you have too little for body fat, you'll get signals that you need more. And if you have adequate body fat, typically it's, it encourages you not to need more, right? But when you have too much adipose tissue, things can go a bit awry. Secondly, and I think this is the biggie, too much PUFAs. So these are polyunsaturated fatty acids. These are within vegetable oils, otherwise known as seed oils. So safflower, rapeseed, soybeans, sunflower, those kind of vegetable oils that we use predominantly in our home cooking and almost exclusively used in all ultra-processed foods. All foods that are made need some form of oil base in which to create, and they use these vegetable oils. Unfortunately, these vegetable oils are have not been a part of our diet ever really. PUFAs have always made up a part of our diet of say 2 to 3% ancestrally. We're now up to something like 15 to 20% of our calories are coming from PUFAs, mostly through the processed food that you buy, mm-hmm. the restaurant meals that you have, and then the vegetable oils that you use at home and the margarines, etc. This is a problem because it is dysregulating the healthy function of your adipose tissue. 
It is dysregulating the energy production, um, dysregulating the hormone production. And this is being very closely linked to the things I'm just about to say. The third thing is refined carbs. We have far too much refined carbs. I'm okay with people having carbs if they're healthy and they're from whole sources, but we have far too much refined carbs. And we're talking about flours, high fructose corn syrup, added um, cane sugar. There's just too much added and refined Mm -hmm. carbs in our diet. And if you look at the processed food aisles in and around a supermarket, it's all refined carbs. Mm -hmm. This is a problem. Lastly, we have nutrient deficiency. The metabolism and the immune system don't, doesn't just need energy, it needs adequate micronutrition because we we need our B vitamins, our C, our D, A, E. We need our magnesium, our minerals, our you know, all these all these things. We need those choline, carnosine, carnitine. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have those at the right levels, bioavailable within our body, kind of bathing our body, things can start to go wrong. And what are the things that go wrong? So a dysregulated metabolism looks like this you will start to have hyperinsulinemia, which means you're overproducing insulin. Insulin's role is varied, but one of the things that people commonly understand it to to do is to shuttle energy out of your bloodstream and into cells, right? Whether it be muscle cells or into into fat as excess. That's a really high level, and it is more nuanced, but hyperinsulinemia is when you are either eating too much or predominantly eating too many carbs, and you're now having to produce much more insulin because you're eating more often and you're eating too much. That leads to something called insulin resistance, which means that um, your body looks like or is expressing that it can't use the insulin that you're producing. And therefore, this, this, this continue amping up of insulin to try and get the glucose out of your bloodstream. And insulin resistance is that, is this idea that your bodies are no longer responding to healthy levels of insulin. You need unhealthy levels, whether it be produced internally or exogenously through, through you know, insulin pumps, what have you. Then you have chronic inflammation. So in, chronic inflammation is a big deal. Um, you would have just heard the podcast with Tom O'Brien talking about chronic inflammation, how that's driven, what it is, how it's an issue. But it can be caused through damage, damage of, again, what you're predominantly eating, as well as autoimmune conditions, again, predominantly caused through what you're eating or what you're exposed to. If you have high triglycerides and low HDL, that means that your body is not using energy properly the way it should be, and it's over-reliant on carbohydrate and glucose versus being adapted to leveraging fat too, which mm-hmm. is our evolutionary consistent state to be able to use both systems, but rely on fat because fat is our is our battery, mm-hmm. is our energy that we hold in our body from when we need it. And when you're dysregulated, you've forgotten how to use the fat on your body. And it's a sad state of affairs because mm-hmm. you can go on a diet But if you're on a diet that continues to perpetuate your dependence on carbohydrate and glucose, then you've got all this fat on your body that you can't tap into because you get too hungry before you even have an opportunity to start leveraging it because you have these cravings and these drives. And that is not just because it's habitual or because you've got low discipline or low Mm -hmm. willpower. You are are set up to fail because biologically, chemically, you have not learned how to 
naturally adaptable to leveraging fat in times of fasting. So that's an issue. And then lastly, oh no, that, that, that really is it. That's the high, uh, high uh, triglycerides and low HDL. That is an expression that you can't use body fat. So uh, a, a metabolism gone wrong is when your body is no longer able to flexibly leverage consumed fat and your body fat and it's stuck on the carb switch Mm. that it needs a continuous supply of carbohydrate to create sufficient glucose in the bloodstream that feeds your hungry cells your cells are hungry Mm. they need it even though you've got more more than enough energy on your body but it can't tap into that energy because it's forgotten how to leverage the body fat and i've um anecdotally experienced this myself so when i was younger my diet um wasn't great and i didn't really understand nutrition and i'd eat um kind of highly ultra highly processed foods um and it was quite an empty diet i mean i wasn't eating much in a way of like fats or protein and it would be very much based on refined carbohydrates and i would get in this hypoglycemic state where i'm i get the shakes and it's where my uh, basically where that metabolism is is not flexible enough to switch and tap into the energy stores that my body has because i'm no longer providing my body with the the glucose and i would quite often if i didn't eat enough or frequently enough i would get to a point where i start getting shakes or i feel weak yeah um yeah. And then, and then I'd start getting cravings and I'd want to, um, naturally I'd have cravings to want to go pick something sugary up. As soon as I did, I'd feel much better for Think it. Think about having a bowl, a bowl of cereal, big bowl of cereal with loads of sugar at the top mm-hmm. of it. When you were a kid or even in your teens or for me in my 20s, right? Yeah. You have that bowl of cereal, even if, if even it's a big one. Um, maybe the most filling of a cereal might be Weetabix, but nonetheless, they all do the same thing. What, an hour or two later, you're hungry mm-hmm. again, right? Mm-hmm. Almost universally everyone can yeah. nod their head and say yeah i'm hungry again like lunch needs to be sooner yeah, you get <laughs> right? that slump. or i need a snack yeah why it's because you're leveraging yes you have some fat in the milk but if you're having a low fat milk which mm-hmm. most people do like a skimmed or a semi yeah and you're having loads of cornflakes and loads of sugar and you might you might even have a bit of toast with that and you know that carb load first thing in the morning is and if you do this perpetually and you're not fat adapted which most people in modern diets unfortunately aren't then after you've had that meal and your body goes through this process of trying to eliminate the glucose out of the blood because it needs to it, mm-hmm. glucose can't stay in the blood at over over um amplified levels it's not healthy for your bloodstream it's actually damaging to your epithelial cells so it needs them out and it needs it to put into storage whether it be muscle use or into fat once it does that if you can no longer then say, okay, I'm in a state of fasting, now I'm going to use my stored energy, you know, my utility belt, which is my fat, yeah. use that as a means of energy, energizing myself into my next feed, whether it be at lunch or late lunch or even dinner, then you're going to have physiological symptoms of uh, you know, hunger and hanger because your body needs energy your cells are crying out for energy. Mm. And it doesn't know that there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of calories sitting on your body because mm. it can't get it. Yeah. Because it's dysregulated. Your metabolism is relying almost exclusively on glucose. And it's about that. And that's access. why you need your next meal. Yeah. It's about that access to that stored body um, body fat. So 
the other thing you'll probably notice is energy levels that this is again something i'd notice is that um i would get energy drops throughout the day and i know we probably all had this where at 2 p.m slump comes along mm. and you just feel like i want to nap so bad um and i would get it oh, i'll get it first thing in the morning so i'd have my breakfast and then i'll be driving to work and i would just i just want to sleep i just want to go back cool crawl back into my bed and go to sleep then i'd have lunch and i i would notice um a significant rise in my energy levels straight after that that lunch time meal and i'll feel much better but then i would crash and i'd have that 2 p.m slump and um yeah i mean now that my metabolism is much more flexible because of the way i eat nowadays i can f i can honestly tell you the difference between then and now how my energy levels they do undulate, but it is very smooth and you don't have these what you're after. And troughs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which is, is it's amazing. It's, it can be life-changing because it, that was horrible and I thought that was normal. It's not normal, And now you obviously. do multi-day fasts, right? You, you, uh, yeah. you experience one, two or three day fasts. Three days, yeah. And I know you've got willpower. I know mm -hmm. you've got discipline. Yeah. I know you are a determined individual, but it simply would not be possible if you were completely dependent on glucose as your primary fuel source and you had not adapted your body to doing its natural thing, which is also tapping into fat. If you couldn't tap mm -hmm. into fat, you could not do a prolonged fast. Yeah. You wouldn't have been able to. You yeah. would have just been losing your mind and you would have caved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Would have. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where I'm like, wow, I can, I can not eat anything for three days and be okay. And my energy levels were pretty steady. I can't. You get colder, would, right? Yeah. You, you notice some things. Yeah. It, is, it is a bit tough at times. But. Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, I didn't feel amazing on it. Um, some people feel really good. I just don't think that I'm there yet doing it. I probably wouldn't do it now. Now, looking back, I'll be like, I won't just jump into a three day fast. Um, but nonetheless, I was still okay doing it. I was still okay doing it. My body could still um, run itself sufficiently on three days with no food. Um, now I'd probably shorten that and then build up to it. Yeah. Um, do it the other way around because now I do more 24-hour fasts. Do OMAD, or, one yeah, meal yeah, a day. Exactly. Yeah. Things like that. I do that typically more often. But yeah, I feel amazing if I have one meal a day. I think I feel great. I don't great. have the... Liberating. Exactly. But also to look at you, like you're, you know, you're, you're a slight individual, right? You, you've, I've never known you to hold much weight on there. You might mm. say, actually, I might get, be getting a little bit, bit fluffy. Stuff, yeah. But ultimately... Anyone who looks at you is going to say, you know, you're in good shape. Mm. And I suspect that's always been your story. So people might say, actually, Bryn's just genetically uh, endowed with the, you know, the benefit of staying lean. Now, one might argue that, you know, you're an ectomorph and therefore, you know, your propensity to put on weight is less than others. That's fair. But that doesn't mean you still can't dysregulate your metabolism because clearly you had that. Mm. Clearly your willpower is not enough because there's periods of time when that you were still being controlled by food, even though you're the same individual. Mm. It's not like you've developed better systems of your relationship with food, albeit I'm sure that has happened. Ultimately, food doesn't control you because you've worked, worked out how to eat, so you get nourished with adequate new, uh, uh, calories and without the need of incessantly consuming more calories because you're eating a calorie-rich but nutrient-poor diet. You've flipped that. You've mm, gone yeah. nutrient-rich, not necessarily calorie-poor, but calorie-moderate. Yeah. And therefore, you're not driven by calories. You're not driven by carbs. You're driven by nutrition. And when your body gets enough nutrition, it stops asking for more. Yeah, 100%. And it, mean, it also means that the signaling that you get from your body becomes much clearer um, because it's no longer um, cravings. It's more at actual hunger and i know you can last was it like 40 days without food good, good period um time, yeah. but i still 
more in tune with when I'm actually hungry and when it's a craving because I can actually go, well, I don't actually need to eat. I'm just, I just want to eat. And I typically well, it's know it's my head, right? It's lunchtime. I mean, I could not eat, but it's lunchtime. Yeah. So are we? Yeah. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a problem, especially mm. if you're managing your overall energy consumption. But yeah, knowing that, knowing that like I could skip lunch, but it's just going to be inconvenient if I do it. That's a different conversation from I can't fucking skip lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, a yeah. different place to be. Now, let's talk about metabolic syndrome. So we've spoken about what a dysregulated metabolism can look like. Too much adipose tissue, too much poofers, too many refined carbs, nutrient deficiency leading to insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia, and chronic inflammation, etc. But we use this word meta- metabolic syndrome quite often. It is a is a clinically defined term. And it is an expression that your body is no longer using energy in a human-appropriate, healthy way. Now, what are the symptoms or what are the expressions of this? Now, what they, what I'm about to share are five conditions. If you have three of the five, you are considered uh, with this condition metabolic syndrome. Now, the great news is metabolic syndrome is transient. It's a thing you can fix and fix relatively easily. But it's important to understand if you are in a metabolic disease, in metabolic syndrome, it is going to impact your health, your weight, and your longevity, and your susceptibility to infectious disease. So it's important you get this stuff squared away quickly. So what is it? First, it's central obesity. So this is carrying a lot of weight around your waist. Now, to add an objective measure to that, if you're a guy and you've got over a 40-inch waist, and if you're a lady, over 35 inches, that is one mark against you, right? It's something to say, okay, maybe we're going to need to fix. You're not necessarily metabolically dysfunctional at this point, but it's one of the markers. Second marker is hyperglycemia. So this is about blood sugar regulation. So if you get a blood glucose test and you test your fasting blood glucose, glucose, which is anything after two hours of eating. So after you've had a meal, at least two hours, or in the morning, for example, test your fasting glucose. If it's over 100 milligrams per deciliter, that means you have a blood glucose management issue, right? That means you are going to be driven more by carb consumption. You've got some hyperglycemia. You've probably got some level of insulin resistance, because a healthy blood level should be much lower at resting mm. when fasted. And what I would say there is it might be, if you are doing this test, it might be worth doing a seven-day average, um, just because obviously many um, other factors can influence your reading. So just doing it over the seven days and that's, then that's looking fair. at your seven-day seven that, average. That, that is fair. But if you've done this in the morning, for example, so you've literally, you know you're definitely fasted. fasted and you have levels over 100 milligrams mm. per deciliter, that is cause yeah. for concern. yeah. Um, then there's dyslipidemia. So what does that mean? That's um, dysregulated blood lipids. So this is what when people typically think about cholesterol, right? <laughs> cholesterol is not cholesterol is just the thing within your lipids within your blood. Lipids are you know this kind of oil capsule in which they carry nutrients around. One of the things is cholesterol, but there's also other things like vitamin D and other minerals. Anyway, having a dysfunctional lipid profile is when you have high triglycerides and low, high-density lipoproteins, which is HDL. So if you have triglycerides over 150 milligrams per deciliter, and you have HDL under 
50 gram, sorry, milligrams per deciliter for males or under 40 milligrams per deciliter for females, that combination is suggesting you have a dysregulated energy management system expressed through your blood lipids. So there are two conditions there. And then the last condition is hypertension, so high blood pressure. So if you have over 130 systolic or over 85 diastolic measurements, then you've got high blood pressure. So what have we got here? Let's just wrap this up. We've got central obesity, so waist circumference. We've got hyperglycemia, which is high levels of blood sugar at fasting. You've got dysregulated um, lipid levels measured through triglycerides and HDL. We're not talking about LDL because LDL is not in its own right a problem, even though we've been it's been bastardized as that, you know, that demon, that horrible thing. Actually, it's completely normal to have high HDL if these other two measures are in, in range. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, hypertension, which is high blood pressure. If you have three of those five measures that we have just said, you have a dysfunctional metabolism. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now now we understand what metabolic syndrome is. If we have an unhealthy metabolism, the things it's going to cause, the things it's going to create within your life, especially if in a if you're in this position chronically, is you are going to have some form of chronic disease, whether it be diabetes, cancers, uh, whether it be dementia, dementia and Alzheimer's is highly linked to dysfunctional metabolism. We can go through all the chronic conditions we have of today, like heart, heart disease, blood pressure issues. They are all connected. Trust me, the more you dig into this, the more you realize right at the root of chronic disease and the explosion we see across our population today is poor metabolic health. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, only 12%, sorry, in the US, only 12% of the population are metabolically healthy. 12%. That means 88% of those people are metabolically unhealthy. That's a scary statistic, which yeah. means those people are going to have one or more chronic conditions. And those chronic conditions aren't just the things I've said. They're also going to be autoimmune conditions, autoimmune conditions of the gut, of the thyroid, of the brain, <clears throat> of the skin. These are all rooted in your metabolism going off on a chronic level. The second thing you can expect almost you know, as a default is you're going to be overweight. Now, not in, always... Like, mm-hmm. for example, South Asians, Indians, yeah. they can become metabolically unhealthy at lower body fats than Caucasians. Mm. It seems to be a genetic variation. So it is it, it is what it is. We have to accept that. They, I think they talk a lot about the subcutaneous fat versus the visceral fat. I think with that, uh, with their genetics, you look at them and they'll typically won't hold as much. Uh, they, they're typically more leaner, so their limbs won't hold as much um, storage. Have a bit of a big, and, and, and big you have belly. a bit more of a belly. And that's typically yeah. where you'll see that kind of, that term comes in skinny fat, which exactly. you could look at someone and be like, no, nah, they're not too unhealthy if you're just looking at them. But then if you actually dived into their metabolic health, you'd probably see otherwise. And if you think about, if you think about it, right? So you've just spoken about visceral fat, which is the problem. So this central obesity is really talking about the visceral fat, the, mm-hmm. the fat around your organs, which is a protective measure for, to dump toxins and to protect your organs, mm-hmm. to leach out energy from your organs because they are saturated with too much energy. So they have to start dumping it in and around the organs. That is a problem. It's usually harder fat, mm-hmm. it's rounder fat. 
it's not just, you know, fat on your arms, it's fat around your belly, the visceral fat. It's a very good point. And you typically find, um, especially in India, you know, veg- vegetarian dominant diet, high carbs, not necessarily the best carbs as well, right? There's a lot of flour in their diet. There's a lot of sugar in their diet. And with a genetic propensity to get diabetes or insulin resistance at a lower body fat level because they're hypertrophic um, capability to build and grow their fat cells is limited. They can't get as fat as a Caucasian healthily. Mm -hmm. So they get less fat and get more diseased, yeah. right? And that's important that obesity is a big part or is a, is leading indicator that things are going wrong, but it's not always. You can look yeah. good from the outside and still be pretty poor inside. And then the third thing, and this is, you know, this is the most relevant thing right now, is your poor metabolic health will create susceptibility to infectious disease. So starting up right from the top of this discussion with, you know, this, this program within the UK, to address our obesity because of the links to what it has uh, with COVID-19. Well, it just stands to reason that if you have a failing metabolism, you are going to create downstream effects. And one of those effects is that your immune system is going to get compromised. Because why? The immune system, for it to be healthy, it needs adequate energy and it needs adequate nutrition, micronutrition such as vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, amongst other things. So if you have metabolic disease or metabolic dysfunction, you are going to have chronic inflammation. It's almost a guarantee. You're going to have a dysregulated endocrine system. You're going to have more sympathetic tone than parasympathetic. So you're going to be in a high stress state internally, whether you're mentally stressed out as well is another thing. But if you add mental stress on top of this, that's going to further dysregulate a healthy immune system. Because when you've got high cortisol, you switch off aspects of your immune system. Not good, right? Um, And as I say, you need sufficient nutrition. So the counter to all of this, or the kind of um, opposing position, is if you can understand how to create a healthy metabolism, and you can nourish your immune system, you going from be, being one of those susceptible that even need to be cautious or even shield to someone who will be in the 99.9% of people that recover or the 80% plus of people that don't even have any symptoms with things such as COVID-19. Because COVID-19 is not a virulent virus that is randomly and you know, aggressively taking our people down it's unfortunately causing harm to those that are metabolically unhealthy and immunocompromised. And that is the reality. So if you want to fix your immune system, fix your metabolism. And in doing so, you will minimize chronic inflammation. Now, which And that's important, right? Because the immune system is a beautiful system of layers. It's got mucosal, innate, humoral, adaptive systems. You've heard of T-cells, you've heard of antibodies, macrophages, cytokines, IL-6. There's loads of things going on within the healthy immune system. It's beautiful. It works. It's evolutionary, adapted over millions of years. We need not worry about our immune system working. Mm -hmm. We need to worry about if it's overburdened, right? So if you have inflammation caused by your poor diet or your, uh, your lifestyle, your body is fighting an internal battle, right? That 
means it's using resources that it doesn't have to fight an external battle. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, 100%. Right. So if you're if you're dealing with a cancer, or you're dealing with diabetes, or you're dealing with um, you know obesity, these are these are inflammation inducing issues. If you're dealing with autoimmune conditions, this is a constant state of immune response internally, which otherwise you would not have if you were metabolically healthy. Mm-hmm. So you're fighting against things on a constant basis, whether it's Crohn's disease or all those kind of things, right? Gastro issues. So all that fight, all that fight is happening. Now you have an external insult, which is COVID-19 or influenza or rhinovirus. And now your body's going, well, I'm putting 80% of my resources to work on these internal issues, these chronic systemic issues that I've created through lifestyle and diet. And now you stick something else on top of me and I don't have enough resources to go fight that. Mm-hmm. So you end up creating cytokine storms. Like for example, vitamin D is a regulator of an over-immune response. So you hear of these things called cytokine storms, which is when um, these unhealthy people they have an exponentially rising response to an infection, and that's because they have insufficient vitamin D. Because vitamin D acts as a break. So your your response innately is to bring everything out, bring all guns blazing. Yeah. And if you don't have vitamin D, you don't have the break. Mm-hmm. And therefore you get this cytokine storm, which is kind of exponential rising of, of kind of um, immune activity. And that's what usually is what's happening in those people that have serious cases that are intubated, that are in ICU. So if we can just understand that a healthy immune system needs minimal internal insults, it needs adequate nu- nutrition to function, and you need to lower your sh- chronic stress level so you are not inadvertently turning, taking it offline. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in a stress state, for example, a lion's chasing you, are you thinking about healthy immune system? Or are you thinking about running away? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about putting energy to your muscles or energy to your immune system? Well, that's it. Your central energy is now going out to your extremities exactly. to deal with the fight or flight. Exactly. Um, so then obviously things internally are getting downgraded and not being... Your digest- digestion is stopped, right? Yeah. For, for the most part. That's exactly what's happened. So if you know, if um, if anyone does skin grafts or kind of organ transplants, you'll, um, you'll know that those um, surgeons will give some, basically cortisol. They'll give yeah. s- um, some level of hormone corticosteroids to try and... C- turn immune not turn immune system off but depress the immune system because yeah. you've just put a foreign invader you put something completely foreign to the body it's non-self you've put an, a you know a liver or a kidney into someone which isn't theirs they know it their body knows it and their body's like first response is attack that get that out mm. so what do they do they give them corticosteroids hormones cortisol to say if i put you in a stress state yeah. you're going to turn your immune system down dampen it and you're less likely to attack and eject this foreign organ we're trying to implant. So in this state right now, you don't want to be stressed. You want the opposite. You want to be calm. You want to be nourished. And you want to minimize your chronic inflammation. You do that, you're going to be in a good spot. If you think about it, it makes sense when you say someone's got Crohn's, um, when when something stressful is going on in your life, or irritable uh, bowel syndrome or something, when you're stressed, your digestive system goes down the toilet, literally, because it's... um, uh, not dealing with that stress, and now you're suppressing your immune system, which means that your symptoms actually get worse as a result when other external stresses are happening, right? 
Exactly. So I know I've kind of monologued a little bit here, but let's just kind of bring this all back as we close it, right? So we started by talking about what the metabolism is. Metabolism is. We spoke about really, you know, the conversation about energy management, the role metabolism plays in that equation. We spoke about how you can dysregulate your metabolism or lower it through diet and how that's not necessarily broken, but there's something called Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, mm-hmm. which is a reduced functioning of your master organ, the thyroid, which once dysregulated or permanently damaged can permanently lower your um, metabolism. And it's something to be aware, aware of. And you can test for that if you are concerned or speculate you may have an underactive thyroid. And we can, there's actual treatments and you can, there's therapeutics or drugs that can help, you know, fix or address the hormonal imbalance. So mm-hmm. that's just a point there. We then spoke about how the metabolism can be dysregulated through various things and how it's expressed through insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia. We then gave you the conditions in which to self-diagnose whether you have metabolic syndrome which is central obesity, hyperglycemia, dyslipidemia, and hypertension. I then helped you understand that metabolic health really is the root cause to chronic disease, obesity, and susceptibility to infectious disease. And we just finished on giving you a bit of a sense of what a healthy immune system is and how to think about that. I want to just tie a bow around this now, Bryn, and kind yeah. of help bring the complexity of what we discussed into... Okay, so what do you want me to do? Yeah, practical right? takeaways. Yeah, <laughs> and for me, I put it down to five things, and I pass over the mic for for you to for you, Bryn, for you to kind of add anything you want. But mm-hmm. the solution, sorry, the science is complicated. This discussion is complicated. The solution is completely simple. Mm. Requires effort, but it is simple. I firmly believe, and many others around the world believe exactly the same thing is that we need to return to an ancestrally consistent diet. Okay? You need to understand what your, not only your lineage, but what we as a species have been eating predominantly for the two to 300,000 years of Homo sapiens and, you know, the millions of years leading up to becoming Homo sapiens. And that really is a diet rich in animal fat, Mm -hmm. rich in animal protein, and having a diversity of whole foods. But I want to I really amplify and underline that we have thrived, we have grown exponentially in terms of brain size and cognitive ability and social abilities through the liberation of energy from animals. And you can hear more about that when, uh, if you listen to my um, discussion with Bill Schindler, You can learn more through a variety of podcasts that we've listened to, that we've spoken about around uh, subjects as it relates to kind of um, paleo diets or keto diets, which is basically higher protein and higher fat diets than you normally have and dropping some of the carbs out. But I'll link those in the show notes. The second thing is I really want to urge you all because there's there's no way to get around this. We've fucked with our food system over the last 70 years. Since the Second World War and uh, you know, the, the, the creation of the convenience <clears throat> diet, mm-hmm. the, you know, the processed food industry, and then all the factions that build off of that have just confused us, confused us immensely. 
And the best thing you could possibly do for yourself is say, until we can fix our shit, mm. is do your best to try and forget the last 70 years of nutrition. Because if you can return to what was being eaten, you know, pre-World War II, and go further back and ancestrally and understand your lineage, understand what they had eaten, you wouldn't go too far wrong. And really, what does that mean? That's whole foods again. It's this processing. It's this industrial factory-driven processing, processing where you are not the priority. Cost, shelf life. Um, convenience. Convenience. And many other factors of the priority. Your human-appropriate um, healthy state has not been the priority. Mm -hmm. We may have mis made some mistakes. We may have been deliberate in understanding those mistakes are being made. But nonetheless, the last 70 years of convenience food, fast food chains, it's all been a fucking mess. So the more you can do to pull away from ultra-processed foods, which is refined carbs and poofers, vegetable oils. And unfortunately, that is all processed foods. Most processed foods, whether it be bread, which is a processed food, whether it be you know the, the you know the snacks, the biscuits, um, you know the uh, the, the microwavable meals, this is all processed stuff. Now some stuff is more processed than others. Some stuff has more whole food ingredients left whole than others. But if you're buying stuff in a box that's not refrigerated, it's processed. And I want you to start paying more attention to the fact that they're going to have refined carbs. And they're going to have poofers, and these are dysregulating your metabolism. So do the best you can to minimize this. I'm not saying you need a life of zero processed food, but this needs to become the minority, not the majority. Fourth, I would say nutrient density should be such a priority. Stop this idea that less nutrition is better. That is that is insane. Mm. You wouldn't think that that's a good idea for a lion or a tiger or an elephant or a giraffe, or any other animal in, in the animal kingdom. You wouldn't say, it give them less food. Now, you would say, what's their you know, species-appropriate diet, and how do we bathe them in nourishment? Because if we give them enough nourishment, they'll get, you know, they'll grow big, they'll strong bones, they'll be fast, they won't be lame, they'll have good, you know, good hair, mm -hmm. you know, they'll reproduce, they'll be good specimens. You know that. But instead, we, we have this idea of fallback diets where a good diet is a diet which is devoid of nutrition, devoid of calories. You know, the less is the better. And it is complete bullshit. Mm. You need to completely pull away from this, this idea and instead center your life on nutrient density. If you pick foods that aren't necessarily calorie-rich but are nutrient-rich, and we'll go through that maybe another time, and I'll, I'll link to the BY, sorry, the... Be your best nutritional principles. There's 10 principles that we follow up through three categories which help describe nutrient density, and it's really straightforward. And then lastly for me is beyond nutrition, it's living ancestrally. So what does that mean? That means acknowledging movement was constant, mm. constant ancestrally. Yeah. When we didn't have electricity and we didn't have a roof over our head, and we lived on the savannah or through the plains of, you know, throughout the, the rest of the world. We got up when the sun rose. We were active for the majority of that. It's not running, not sprinting, not doing deadlifts, but we were moving. Just general movement. Yeah. We were moving in nature, right? Return to moving in nature more. Make that a priority. Sleep more, right? Again, ancestrally, we would have gone to bed when the, when the light's out, especially when we didn't have fire. 
and even with fire, it would have still been an early, uh, early going to bed and, you know, getting a good nine hours probably, right? Depending on the time of the year. And then mental, we're stressed. We've allowed ourselves to get completely stressed with so many distractions, social media, all the pressures of modern life. And I understand that and I feel that and I experience it every single day. But understanding if you want a good immune system, if you want good metabolism, if you want to be healthy, you've got to find a way to control your mental game. Mm. And it's becoming an, a bigger issue day by day, especially with the year that we've had in 2020. So whatever you can do to bring some mindfulness and calmness to your mind, the better. Without counter the um, stress argument. Exactly. So that's that, that's kind of my frame on what to do, right? Ancestry, consistent diet, forget the last 70 years of diet, lose the ultra processed food, which is refined carbs and poofers, have a nutrient dense priority in terms of the foods that you do select and live ancestrally. Anything else you want to add to that, man? No, no, I think you covered everything. And I think the important uh, point to to double click into and say again is the fact that it's it really is a simple solution for a complex situation. It is, man. I mean, do, do you do you take from our discussion today and think there there is a there is a practical element of this, or do you feel there's still ambiguity here? Do you feel that there's things that we need to cover in, in a separate discussion that double click into areas that may be leaving people more confused and enlightened and enabled? No, I think the the main thing is if you if you check your markers in which we've discussed, like when it comes down to like metabolic syndrome um, and just figuring out where you are and if you need to fix your metabolism. Um, and then just looking at the lifestyle factors that we've just covered off there and seeing where you can improve. I um, like a traffic-like system. I use it in my own life. I use it with clients. And I'll just say to them, like, what what's red in your life? What's amber and what's green? So um if something's green that's like cool like celebrate i'm doing a good job at that if it's amber it's like i it's not perfect i probably need to improve it but it's probably not um causing me too much too many issues red is like okay now i mean if i'm sleeping say four hours a night or i've got a ultra processed diet and i know i have um or any of these things you it's just showing up as a red light that's where you go okay let's address that first so let's attack the red light once we get that, move it to amber or maybe straight to green. Once you've covered all the red lights, then let's move to amber. Let's start okay. looking at that and going, okay, now these things aren't quite as pressing or as immediate. So it's like, all right, well, I'm probably um, eating, say, 70% whole unprocessed foods. I could probably improve that. That's That would be typically an amber. We go, right, now I'm going to deal with that and I'm just going to uh, tweak the dials and improve my diet even more now and I'm going to optimize and then move myself closer towards that green light and the green light is cool the, the, and, and that's where you look at each um, uh, aspect of your life as we've touched there so, so instead sleep, of trying to address movement. everything all at once you're saying where where are Priorities. the where, where the raging fires exactly what are the things that need fixing most yeah. so the red lights deal with those and then maybe move towards addressing the things that are in the middle that you know that have maybe a twenty percent gain, but it's look at look yeah. at the issues that or the biggest issues in your in your lifestyle now. Fix those first. Hundred percent, because it's behavioural change at the end yeah. of the day. So it's just looking at the best way to um, approach that. So. Cool. Thank you, Bryn. Thank you for that chat. I, I'm hoping for you guys listening. This is um, demystifying and bringing some additional colour 
to what metabolism is and why your metabolic health is so important and why I keep banging on about it constantly. Mm. I believe this is the solution to us saying goodbye to the pandemic. I think this is the solution to removing obesity or at least the growth in obesity in our lives. And I believe this is also the solution to you being well, removing or diminishing your probability of chronic disease and living a healthier life. That should be everyone's goal. And I believe at the root of this is your metabolic health. So get at it. Um, Feel free to get in touch with us if you have any questions or you want us to double click into this in a different way. Um, But anyway, live a great life. Look after yourself. Take the measures that we've just said and we will speak to you soon. Thanks, Bryn. Thank you. Take care. Whoa, just before you go, I want to know two things from you, if you would be so kind. Firstly, how did you find that episode? Was it insightful? Was it practical? Has it got you thinking about things differently? If so, do us a huge favor, please, and write us up a quick review in your podcast app, whether it be on Apple or Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform. And secondly, have you checked out the Be Your Best journey yet? If you haven't, That's cool, but go to adaptnation.io or click the link within the show notes and just take a look around. See how we put together the messaging as to the value of this online course and program. And if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And if you're interested about it, then hey, there's no time like the present. Get involved. It's 100 days of personal growth and self-development. I am sure you're going to get a lot of value from it. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.